So many, many years ago, Chris Ingalls and I, Chris uh, oversees our spiritual growth at, here at Novation, and we've been doing ministry together for a long time. We were doing youth ministry way back in the day, and um, I don't remember the exact context of the meeting, but I think it was just a guy's night or something, and roughhousing a little bit in the youth room, and we had ordered pizza, and um, I was busy serving while everybody else was eating pizza. And uh, I remember I came back, I was hungry, I had finished tearing down something or whatever, and all the pizza was gone. I was mad. I was, I was hangry at that point in time, you know? And uh, I remember like, where's you guys ate all the pizza? Da, 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 da. And, and Chris, very, in a Chris fashion, <laughs> those of you that know Chris goes, hey dude, have you considered fasting? I remember thinking, have you considered shutting up? <laughs> I didn't say that to him. He would have whooped me. But I, then I thought to myself, you know what? He's 100% right. And learning the discipline of not letting being hangry be a real emotion, you know, like a Snickers commercial. But um, people, people, we're tempted in many ways when we're hungry. Are you not more angry in quick trigger when you're hungry? I snapped so hard that kind of broke my knuckle there a little bit, a little, a little force. When, you, when you're hungry, when you're angry, when you're lonely, and when you're tired, that's an acronym for HALT that somebody came up with. When you're hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, don't make decisions. Don't snap. Just get, try to get rid of those emotions to some degree. But we're tempted in those areas when we're feeling those emotions. And today we're going to talk about Jesus' temptation in the wilderness and how his humanity, we can identify with him and he definitely identifies with us in what we go through on a daily basis. So I've titled the message, Temptation, Tests, and Transformation. Um, we're doing this series in the book of Luke that we just started a couple weeks ago and just kind of going through uh, the highlights of Jesus' life and his teaching over the next several weeks. And we've called the, the series Kingdom Come because with, within the person of Jesus, God, God became flesh, God the Son. It's important that we always remind ourselves, you know, if you ask this, your question, what is God like or what is God, who is God? God is first and foremost an eternal relationship between the Father, Son, and the Spirit. And we were, everything else we learn about God has to come from that foundation. So God the Son became flesh. We just celebrated at, at Christmas. And he came on a mission to undo the fallen work of Adam. He came to, when Adam and Eve sinned, darkness entered into humanity. We don't see God as good. We see him as some distant out there. And Jesus came to show us what God was like. He came to show us that God loves us. Do you know that today? God loves you immensely, every one of you. He loves us. He loves his creation. And so Jesus brought the kingdom of God through creation in Israel and then the fulfillment in, through, through, through Jesus. So we're going to look at his, this story of 
Jesus being led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. And what can you and I draw from what happened to Jesus, how he handled temptation, and apply it to our lives today? Because anybody ever been tempted? Okay, probably all of us. (laughs) Says in Luke writes in verse 1, he says, Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit in the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Jesus ate nothing all that time and became very hungry. You think? I have two friends that did a 40-day fast one time, and they shriveled, man. It was rough, man. They actually did it, though. Me, not so much. It's get me to skip a meal, right, let alone 40 days. But it's important to know the context that... Jesus it just is coming off this mountaintop experience of his baptism. And when, when Jesus got baptized, it was a phenomenal thing. He, was, he walks up to John as John the Baptist, who we talked about last week, was baptizing people in a, in a baptism of repentance, setting the stage for people to receive the Messiah. And as John walks, sees Jesus, he says, I'm not going to baptize you. Uh, you should baptize me. And Jesus says, no, let's do this to fulfill all righteousness. And what Jesus was saying is, I identify with sinners. (laughs) I identify with broken people. He entered into our humanity to become one of us. And so at his baptism, the Holy Spirit descends upon him like a dove. And then the Father shouts from heaven, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. So you see the Trinity right there, the Father, Son, and Spirit at Jesus' baptism. Then he's led by the Spirit to be tempted. So he goes from this mountaintop experience to 40 days of, of being hungry, lonely, tired. And so a couple, I want to give you a couple observations about temptation that I think is helpful. First of all, temptation often occurs right after a mountaintop experience. Usually right after you've had this spiritual experience, a mission trip, a retreat, some time in the Lord, or, or new to walking with Jesus. It, it happened, temptation t- tends to happen right after those things. I remember when I, I was 25 years old when I started following Jesus, and I remember I got baptized on a Sunday night, and I had written a worship song and we sang it at church, and I got baptized, and I just totally felt the Holy Spirit, and it was a really mountaintop. You know, whenever you're fresh following Jesus, you kind of have this honeymoon experience, you know, where just nothing goes wrong for you. For whatever reason, God gives all this extra grace, and you feel so close, and then reality sets in, and just like in any, any marriage, the honeymoon, <laughs> you wish it could last forever, but it doesn't. And I remember about two days after my baptism and that experience, all of a sudden I went into this big spiritual depression. I was in this funk. And I didn't know whether I really believed or not. Was this really real? Was all that I had experienced, was that really real? Did I just work this up because, you know, living for, for partying and hedonism didn't, didn't fill me, so I, I, let's try Jesus? I, I went through this whole crisis of faith. I went for about two weeks on that, and I remember one day I just said, 
Jesus, um, in spite of how I feel, in spite of all my thoughts, I'm going to follow you all the days of my life. And all of a sudden, boom, it lifted from me. Because you learn that you're not walking by feelings, you're walking by faith. And that's what all of us need to remember. This isn't, he didn't say, you know, walk by your feelings, walk by faith. So that's important. Second thing about temptation is temptation is always a shortcut to achieving a legitimate need or goal. It's a shortcut. It's taking the easy way or the wrong way to get a legitimate need met or, or achieve a goal. Temptations, this is important, are out for our destruction. That's the difference between temptation. In the book of James says that when you're tempted, don't say God is tempting me. God doesn't tempt anybody. It's the, it's the devil in our own sinful nature. And in James continues, he says, when you're tempted, you know, you're, we give in to sin, and that leads to destruction. And that's the, the goal of temptation is to destroy us. On the other hand, tests, tests are meant for our growth, our transformation. God allows us to go through tests. He allows us to go through trials. Jesus even said, in this life, you're going to have many trials and sorrows, but take courage, I've overcome. So we caught off guard sometimes when we go through tests and trials because we think this is supposed to be heaven. And we're not, we're not there. So in this life, we're going to have those things. But when we go through tests, God, if we, when we cooperate with God, he transforms us. And then I'd say this last thing, a calling from God will be tested. Jesus, he had a calling, obviously. And I want to say something. Every one of you watching, every one of you in this room, you have a calling from your creator. You were created with purpose. You were created to be loved. You were created to love and to spend your life on what matters most to your creator. He loves you. You have a calling. Now, our callings are all different, but it's the the unique way God wants you to live out loving him and loving people. It's no coincidence that Jesus was tested for 40 days. The The number 40 in the Bible is the number of deliverance. You see it all over where it would be 40 years or 40 days. For example, the children of Israel wandered in the desert for how many years? 40. And then they were, went into the promised land. Uh, when Goliath and the Philistines were, were bullying Israel, it says on the 40th day, that's when David slew Goliath. So it's, it's the number of deliverance. Israel when we read in the Old Testament, was tested in three central issues, and I believe we are too, is they were were tested in the area of provision. Would they trust God to provide for them? Same with all of us. They were tested in the area of obedience in spite of trials. Would they obey even when things got tough, when things didn't seem to be going their way? And then in the area of worship, would they worship the foreign gods of the neighbors of Israel or would they worship the one true living God or not? We're tested in the same way. So I want to give you three tests that I see from the story of Jesus being tested and what we can grasp from that. And the first one is the trust test. The trust test. We're, we're, we're always under this test of are we going to trust the Lord or not? This test reveals and grows our maturity. 
you know, spiritual maturity is not something that you pop in the microwave like popcorn and out comes your bag of popcorn. That'd be great if it was, hey, now I act like Jesus, I think like Jesus, I'm patient like Jesus. It doesn't work like that. Maturity is something, you know, that, that we, we grow in. So it says here, it says, then the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. But Jesus told him, no, the scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, or as many translations say, it is written. It's important to look at a couple of these things. Did you notice that if you are the son of God, then turn this stone to bread. That is the number one tactic of the enemy is to get you to question your identity as a son or daughter of God. He's always trying to do that. He was trying to get Jesus to question who he was. That happens in Jesus' humanity. Remember, he grew into his understanding in his humanness of who he was. He grew into that, and so he gets him to question himself. He does that to you and I. If you really were a Christian, would you say that? If you really were a Christian, would you behave that way? Always getting us to question our identity. Our identity doesn't mean we're always going to behave like the person, like who we are in Christ. We're learning to grow into the people that we are because of Christ. And, he, and Jesus models here how to resist. It is written. And I, don't, I don't think I'm trying to tell you that every time you're tempted that you should shout from, it is written, you know. But if you read the scriptures and you know the promises of God, you can say it to yourself. Oh, you know, I don't want to do that. I don't want to behave that way. I don't want to act that way because I'm, I'm Jesus. I'm Jesus's, you know, I'm his. I'm with him. Maturity is the ability to endure pain and delay pleasure. That's really what we learn to, to grow in maturity. Now, those of you with like a, a two or three or four-year-old children, or if you've had them before, would you leave your toddler with a bag of Oreos by themselves in a room? Probably not. They're going to eat every one of them, right? And so toddlers, and they're maturing, they're growing, learning self-control. Some of us, right? We're learning and growing and gaining in this area of self-control. That's maturity. So we learn to endure pain and delay pleasure. So why was this a temptation for Jesus? Why was, why was this a temptation to turn a rock into a loaf of bread? Jesus, we know he went on to do miracles, right? He did some awesome things. Well, first of all, Jesus was being tempted to use his abilities for selfish reasons. That's all of Jesus' miracles that he did were always to serve people. He was serving. It wasn't a, he, he, remember, often he would tell people, don't, don't say anything to anybody about what I did for you because he, he wasn't trying to bring the focus to himself. His miracles, for the most part, were for his disciples to build their faith so that they knew who they were following and who had, had chosen them. But he was always serving, Right? And, and people came and went in following Jesus because of his miracles. But he was being tempted in this temptation, just like you and I are, to use our abilities for selfish reasons. You and I are tempted where we're gifted. You're going to be tempted where you're gifted. For example, if you have good people skills, um, you're going to be tempted to manipulate people. Smooth talk, you know, 
cheap car salesman kind of talk with people, you know, get, to get your way. People with leadership gifts. Um, Hitler was obviously had the gift of leadership, but he used it for bad. And so he was, that's, Jesus was being tempted to, to use his ability for selfish reasons. Secondly, Jesus was tempted to not wait on God to meet his needs. Tempted to not trust God for provision. This is a true fact here. Most problems in life come from the inability to delay gratification. Most of our problems we've created in our ability to delay gratification. Debt, financial debt, is the inability to delay gratification. Now, I'm not trying to, you know, sound like I'm up here towards anybody that has debt. I don't mean that at all. It's just a reality, though. When we find ourselves with credit debt and all of that, it's because buy now, pay later, right? And when you buy now, you pay later. That is a fact. You pay a lot of interest. You pay a lot when it comes to that. Um, you know, people say, hey, you deserve it. Do this, do that. Act now, and we'll throw in a third set of Ginsu knives or whatever, you know. So a question to ask that I thought about for this is to make this personal. What stones are you trying to turn to bread right now? What unmet need are you trying to, to get met financially, materially, maybe intimacy? What, what, where, where are you trying to turn stone, this stone into bread? Second test is the worship test. The worship test. And the worship test reveals our priorities. Like when we look at what is the most important thing to us in our life? What gets the best of our attention? What gets the best of our time, talent, and treasure? <clears throat> says, continues on, it says, Then the devil took him up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and authority over them, the devil said, because they are mine to give to anyone I please. I will give it all to you if you will worship me. Jesus replied, the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Again, it is written, worship God and God only. When you, if you were to you know, look up or talk about what Satan worship really is, we tend to go to the, you know, the, the evil and the rituals and all that, and that's all part of it. I, I understand that. But really, at the heart of the definition of Satan worship is you learn to worship yourself. You worship you. It's, it's self-motivation. It's, it's all about the love of self and then living for power, living for pleasure and possessions. That becomes, you're the priority of your life versus the complete counter of that is Jesus was always about denying himself and serving others, which is the Christ-like life. So when we think about priorities, our priorities are revealed by how we view prosperity and possessions. How do I view my stuff? How do I view my money or lack thereof, right? How do, I, how do we, view, we view things? Generosity is using what you've been given on loan from God for good. 
saying, God, everything I have is yours, so how, what do you want me to do with it? <laughs> how can I steward? Like, you are God's financial planner, so to speak, in that, that he, you, he, tells, he tells us how he wants to use his money and where to put it and stuff. So a good question to ask, heart question is, do I value temporary wealth on earth more than eternal rewards in heaven? It's easy to worship money. It's easy to worship stuff. All of us are tempted in that area, especially living in America. Do you realize that every person in this room and every person watching online is richer than 93% of the world? The the person who has the least salary is richer than 93% of the world. I mean, we've been, like as Seth and Danielle were talking about, go to the Dominican Republic. When you go, you will see firsthand what poverty really looks like. It's, it's, it's crazy. So store up treasure in heaven, like Jesus said. Store up treasure in heaven where nothing can destroy it. And what he means by that is how we use the things that we've been given on earth is depo- being deposited as a reward in the life to come. The third test is the timing test. This one is not easy. Will I wait on the Lord? Will I trust in his timing? Will we trust and, and, and understand that God's way is best and his timing is always best? Because how many know our timing and God's timing and our, doesn't all the time sync up, right? We want something to happen now. We want something to go away. We want something to change. And so learning to wait on the Lord. You know, one of the reasons that I really trust the Bible is the Bible never paints a pretty picture of the people God uses. He used adulterers. He used people that had all kinds of issues and sins in their life. And Abraham is one of those guys. Abraham was deceitful and at one point, and yet God, he's Father Abraham, right? He's the one that... God gave the promise to about Jesus. Well, Abraham and his wife, Sarah, you know, they were older in years. When God promised Abraham, he said, look up into the stars. He said, the number of stars that you can see or try to count is going to be the number of your offspring and from your seed, a blessing to the world. We know from the book of Galatians, that was ultimately Jesus, but Abraham and Sarah didn't conceive, and so they took matters in their own hand. That's, we're all often tempted to take matters into our own hand when the timing just doesn't sync up, right? And so Sarah brings her, her servant to, to Abraham, and they conceive a child that way, thinking, this is the promise. And God's like, listen, I'm going to bless this child, but this is not the seed. This is not the promise that I made. And ultimately, they did conceive a child, Isaac, in, in, the, uh, in their old age and, and fulfilled that. But learning to wait on God. The timing test, this test reveals our integrity. Are we going to be the same person in private that we are in public? And this is hard for all of us, right? Um, but learning to be people of integrity. Jesus, the ultimate person of integrity. It says... Continues, it says, Then the devil took him to Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple. And he said, If you are the Son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say, 
He will order his angels to protect and guard you, and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. The devil was quoting a psalm. Even the devil knows scripture, right? He was twisting it. Jesus responded, the scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord your God. Jesus was being tempted to take a shortcut. He, you know, if you th- he was being tempted to show off. Think about what Jesus was about to, to go through. It was going to unfold where he was going to be betrayed and rejected. And even the three years of ministry, he was rejected by the religious leaders. He was persecuted, always hounded. People came and went from him doing his miracles to, ah, he'd give a hard message and they would, they would, they would leave. And even his disciples questioned him and then ultimately betrayed him. So the devil is saying to him, hey, if you show off and you look like a superhero and you jump off this thing and just bam, land like Wonder Woman or Superman lands when they fly through the air, then, then they'll know and they'll believe and then you won't have to go through, through all this rejection. Jesus was a man of integrity, man of integrity. I remember in the, in the 90s, the Major League Baseball was, they call it the steroid era because guys were taking steroids and just hitting home runs, you know, breaking records and all kinds of stuff. And several of them got caught. And they, they still deny it today that they didn't take steroids. And it's like if you put the before and after of these guys, it's like a twig over here and a WWE wrestler over here. I mean, it's like, yeah, you, I guess you weren't taking steroids. We, we believe you. We take you at your word. That's, that's a lack of integrity, right? And so integrity is so important. And, and we all lack integrity, but we all should be pursuing integrity. That's the key. Integrity means public and private life are the same, that we're pursuing to be the same person at home and private that we are, that we want people to think of us, right? Or we want people to see us. As a pastor, that's, you know, I tell you, getting up here and, and preaching, I get to be the one that has to share my own sin. <laughs> it's fun, let me tell you, on a weekly basis. And the Lord told me one time, somebody's got to do it, dude. And I'm asking you to lead in this and be vulnerable and share your stuff. And so all our teaching team is in leadership are good at, at, at being vulnerable. It's important because I know that I am imperfect. You know, I blow up at stupid things sometimes. Inanimate objects just get me. And they're not even, it doesn't even mean anything like I... Hit your head on a, on a cabinet that was open. Boom, you know, dadgummit, you know, and you get mad. And I'm like, eh, sorry, Lord. Do I say sorry a lot, Janelle? Aw. <laughs> She's always willing to forgive. Um, integrity also means my belief matches my behavior. Our beliefs match our behavior. It doesn't mean it's perfect. Catch me on this. This is... We're going to misbehave because we're imperfect, but we're pursuing to walk in the Spirit. We're pursuing to let the Lord produce the fruits of the Spirit in our life because of our belief in Jesus. So in this test of Jesus, he was being tempted to draw attention to himself. He was being tempted to draw attention to himself, do this spectacular feat. And 
I was thinking, celebrities are people who are known for doing something spectacular. Hit a baseball far, hit a golf ball, be a great golfer, be a great race car driver, actor, musician, whatever. The celebrities are known for doing something spectacular. Heroes are known for doing something sacrificial. Way different. Heroes are not doing whatever they're doing for themselves. They're doing it for the sake of somebody else, to help somebody else. I was thinking about, do you remember uh, the actress Sally Field? Anybody old enough to remember her? All right. We all just dated ourselves, I think, there. But she was an actress big time in the 70s and in the 80s, I believe. And I remember she got an Oscar one time. And she was standing before the camera and the audience. She was holding this Oscar. She goes, you love me. You really love me. Like, like that validated her existence was this Oscar. And so she was doing all of what she was doing so that she could feel good about herself. I don't, I'm not judging her or finding fault in that, but it's, it's a reverse of what a hero does. You know, a hero is doing something sacrificial. Here's a question. Will I use my abilities to serve God and others or to gain the prominence and approval for myself? That's really at the end of the day. Every time I come to preach... I always remind myself of, I say, Jesus, apart from you, I can do nothing, and this isn't about me. Help me to point people to you. This is not, it ain't about me. It's, it's not about any of it. It's about him. And it's about us being our eyes fixed upon Jesus, not upon a, a person, not upon me or any, any other person in ministry. We're all in this together. I was talking to somebody about pastoring recently, and we were, it's just like a job as of a pastor is just to be a, a sheep that's a leader saying, uh, the shepherd, he's going this way. Come on, follow me. That, that, that's, that's my job. That's how I see a lead sheep, maybe, I guess, for now. And, and just like, hey, guys, the shepherd's going this way. Let's follow him. Keep you in the back. Those in the back, keep going. So it concludes this way. It says, when the devil had finished tempting Jesus, he left him until the next opportunity came. And it says, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. I see good news and bad news in that. The bad news is more tests were coming, more tests. If you've been through, you're being tested, you've been tested, you're going to continue to be tested. So dang it, right? <laughs> I wish we could make them go away, but it's an inevitable part of life. What's the good news? Every time you pass a test, you are given more power. Every time you walk through that temptation, every time you walk through that test, you are given more strength, you're given more power by the Spirit. You know this to be true. When you resist temptation, the more you resist, the easier it gets. It's like anybody who has made resolution uh, to eat right and, and exercise, the more you do it, the easier it gets. And exercising our, our resistance muscle, so to speak, going and enduring pain, enduring and, and delaying gratification on the other side, whew, I'm a little stronger. I'm a little more prepared for the next thing that comes along. As I was praying through this, it hit me. Some of you are being very tested right now. 
I know it. It's hit you. It's the season that we're in. It's being hit with health stuff, physical, financial, relational tests. And you're going to be tempted to not trust the Lord. You're going to be tempted to take matters into your own hands. And I feel very strongly that the Lord would remind all of us today, He's good. He can be trusted. And if right now you're thinking, I don't know, well, look at your past. Look where He's brought you. Look at what He's brought you through. Some of you have been through some stuff. You're still standing. Look at you. You're still standing. You're still serving Jesus. You're still following Him. Trust Him. Go back to that HALT acronym. Hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Maybe not physically you're hungry today, but spiritually you're hungry. And you're, you're searching for purpose and meaning. Maybe even a depression has kind of set in. That's a hunger for Jesus. Every time you feel that melancholy, that, that funk that you get in, that's just your spirit saying, I, I, I want Jesus. I want more. I want to know him more. Maybe you're angry. It's easy to be angry today. I know I am. <laughs> when I see things and I'm mad at death right now, I'm mad at COVID livid in that. Maybe you're mad at somebody. Somebody wronged you. Trust Jesus. Forgiveness. Maybe, maybe you're lonely. That's very prevalent right now. Maybe you're tired. Some of us are just tired of the chaos. Tired, battle weary right now. Will you stand with me? Let me pray. Those of you watching online, just let's agree in prayer together. Heavenly Father, thank you for you. You are a good, good Father. And thank you, Lord Jesus, for revealing the Father to us. That when we see your life, we see what the Father's like. God, I pray for anyone watching or in here today that doesn't know, Father, how much you love them. Would you point them to the cross where you demonstrated your love for us? We receive that love today, God. We receive your love, Heavenly Father. Bathe us. Bathe our souls and our minds with your truth with who you are. Holy Spirit, thank you that you are the ever presence of Jesus and the Father in us. And that we're not separated from you. You're in us. Help us to remember that. Christ in us, the hope of glory. Father, I pray for those in this room that are, that are depressed. God, would you just... 
open their minds and their hearts to your love and to find identity and self-worth in you. Heal those that are in pain physically and emotionally today. Those that are lonely, Lord, remind them, remind them of you and that you're always with us. God, those that are tired, give us strength. Thank you that you give us strength to the weak, that when we're weak, we're strong. And we admit to you today that in ourselves, we are weak. But in our weakness, you give grace upon grace. And we receive it today. We receive your peace, your joy. We're going to go from here today, Lord, rejoicing in you. We love you. Amen.